Basketball fans, it's that time again, of course, unless you've been living under a rock per usual. You know what this is. Tate's Take, the only multi-level basketball uh, podcast, the best multi-level basketball podcast that you can find around Tate's Take. Find it anywhere you find your favorite podcast. That being iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Red Circle, Stitcher, also streaming live on YouTube as well as um, on Facebook too. Uh, I want to remind you all to make sure that you not only subscribe, 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 that is the word of the day, I guess, if you will, but not only that, to make sure that you go and follow along at Tate's Take Hoops, T-A-T-E-S-T-A-K-E-H-O-O-P-S. As you know, we like to call it, oh, obviously, where basketball lives, but also we like to call it the best, the most entertaining, the most educational, and the most informational basketball content on the planet in the form of a podcast so as you know all the dimensions if it's 94 feet long 50 feet wide 22 feet and one and three quarter inches on the perimeter uh for college that is obviously then we're talking about it here on tate's take the podcast and as you guys know that i've kind of teased it a little bit along the way throughout the course of the day and leading up to uh earlier this week that i have a very special guest Uh, And before we go ahead and bring him on, as you can see on the ticker scrolling across there at the bottom that feel free uh, to comment below if you have any questions and or opinions like to bring into the locker room now from the green room, Hmm. Kevin Ingram, a morning host play by I'm telling you, the guy has a long list of a resume. I'm trying to tell you a beautiful thing. Uh, morning host, play-by-play announcer, and Blue Ribbon associate editor, Kevin Ingram. Find him on social media at K Ingram Sports. Again, at K Ingram Sports. That is on Twitter and Instagram. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Of course. Absolutely no problem. Don't mention it. And of course, before I do this, I got to make sure I give a shout out to my guy, Paul Bible, a former... <laughs> Uh, a, a former colleague of mine, but longtime friend, lifetime friend. I'm sure he is of yours as well, obviously. And that's how we got the connection as we're going to talk some Tennessee and some Belmont and uh, and uh, and some Vanderbilt uh, on today. Let me open things up with, with, with this first in regards to how things have gone with this pandemic. Obviously, there's been so many games that have been canceled, Kevin, obviously. And uh, Tennessee just playing their first game, I think. Sure yesterday that is uh and obviously there's been some games canceled with Vanderbilt and a couple of the other programs what is some of the approaches that some of uh the coaches whether it be Rick Barnes or Jerry Stackhouse or whomever uh have kind of been taking as to how different this season has been and how they're expecting that it's going to be going forward for their respective programs well it's been really difficult to uh to just get games in for both Tennessee and Vanderbilt uh the Vols you know, they, they had some great games scheduled. They were supposed to play Gonzaga and Notre Dame on the same trip this week. They're also supposed, supposed to host their own MTE. They would have included Charlotte and also VCU. All of those got canceled, and so they, they didn't have a chance to open the season until last night. And it's really a much-anticipated season for Tennessee. I mean, they, they got a very talented team, picked by some to win the SEC, and I think rightly so. But, uh, you know, they had to wait a long time to get it going, almost two weeks after everybody else got started. So, uh, you know, I, I think for Rick Barnes, it's probably been really frustrating just to yeah, – and, and I'm sure the guys are sick of practicing against each other, at least even the ones that, that are able to get out there and practice. You know, a lot of these guys spend time in, 
you know, in their dorm rooms and quarantine, aren't able to, to do anything. And, uh, you know, I think every pretty much every program at some point or another is, is probably either dealt with it or will deal with it. Uh, Vanderbilt's been shut down for a couple of weeks. They opened against uh, Valparaiso a couple of weeks ago and got a win, but they're supposed to go Connecticut. All that got taken away. Uh, they're supposed to play on Friday night. That game's canceled. They're supposed to resume uh, on Sunday against Mississippi Valley State, so we'll see there. But, you know, it's funny. For Vanderbilt, throughout a whole lot of the preseason, you know, practice leading up to the start of the year, they have been fine. They really hadn't had cases or, or anything like that that would have uh, held them back. But uh, they, they've had to shut down for a while, too. And uh, I know it's been frustrating for everybody. Now, what I do want to do, Kevin, is I, I'd like to start off, if I can, with with Belmont. Let's get them out okay. of the way first, because they obviously not only being more of that mid-major program, but they're just a and just taking you a little bit of a dive inside of Deshaun Tate's brain a little bit. They're one of the more respective mid-major programs around. I mean, if you're not very hip to basketball and you're not, you know, one of those uh, heavy into college basketball this is one that when you're filling out that bracket, you know, you mm -hmm. always want to make sure yeah. that you're keeping a close eye, even if you're paying attention to the NIT on some occasions, that can definitely make some deep runs. I mean, I remember going all the way back, not that it was really that far ago necessarily, uh, but they had that they had that game versus Duke, you know, and I can't remember yeah. if it was an overtime game necessarily, but I know that it was super tight. Uh, and I knew about Belmont prior to, uh, how is this Belmont team this year any different from so many that we've seen leading up to this year that have been competitive? How is this one different from any of the other ones? Because just watching the way they play, they're always very basic, fundamentally sound. Like yep. they play the game the right way, the way that mm -hmm. it was designed back when James Naismith put this thing, whole thing together, December, I think, 21st, <laughs> 1891. Don't ask me how I remember that date. but he, When he hung uh, the peach basket up there? Exactly. <laughs> seriously, with the milk crates and the whole nine. Yeah, that, yep. <laughs> how is this one different than any of the past that is leading up to uh, this year? Um, I don't know that they are a whole lot different. And you're exactly right, you know, about the Duke game. That was in 2008. Uh, we, we did that game. That was in Washington, D.C. and came down to the very end. And it was one of those deals where – if you're if they the place is packed is at the the Verizon Center you know, where the Wizards play and there's probably twenty thousand people in there by the time he got toward the end of the game and you had West Virginia fans and Arizona fans in the building and they were all pulling for Belmont and everybody that wasn't for Duke was rooting for Belmont and you know, there's there's a point where you knew the whole nation was watching that game and you know I came down to the end and, and our guys had a chance to win Gerald Henderson uh, drove the length of the court and scored to push Duke ahead and then um, came back and. Uh, yeah, I had a couple opportunities, uh, especially on a baseline inbounds play, but then a 30-footer at the buzzer rimmed off, and uh, that was that. But that, that was a, a thrilling game. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned that, because I would say a whole lot of people remember that game from that tournament <laughs> that year. Um, as far as this year's team, you know, it's a, it's a talented group, and, um, you know, I, I think there's a little disappointment in that you know, they, they, they also lost some games that would have been pretty good. They were going to play in a, in a tournament down in Orlando, that included some pretty heavy hitters. I think Gonzaga and Auburn, and you know a few other you know pretty big name teams around Thanksgiving. But you know that got taken away, and uh, a, a couple of players uh, transfers out of the program have been really really unusual. But they lost uh, one of the leading scorers from last year, Adam Kunkel. He transferred to Xavier over the summer, and you know that's one of those. If the pandemic doesn't happen, maybe he's still at Belmont. But uh, the, you know, replacing that scoring, it looks like it's going to be uh, maybe a little bit by committee. But they have a a guard, Luke Smith, who sat out last year. He transferred from Swanee, a, a Division three school, 
but he has been great so far. He's he scored 23 last night. Belmont won a conference game against Tennessee State, and then you have some you have some really experienced guys. You have uh, of course uh, Nick Musinski and Grayson Murphy. They've been all conference players. Uh, Moose is the big guy. Uh, 22 and 11 last night. Big dude, lefty can shoot threes. Great post moves, footwork, all soft hands, all the things you want in a good big guy. And Grayson Murphy is just that, that steady point guard. Man, he fills up those stat pages. He'd be assist and steals, and, uh, and he can shoot you know, shoot a three when you need it. So, uh, uh, And then they have some talented young guys that have come along. But uh, you know, Nick Musinski and, and Grayson Murphy and, and so far Luke Smith have, have all been outstanding. Yeah, Musinski is a guy that I've been keeping my eye on for this upcoming year and obviously last year as well. Probably a good thing that with all the stuff that Duke has going on with Coach K and all so on and so forth this year, probably a good thing that they don't have uh, Belmont on their schedule this year, yep. no matter where they play them at. <laughs> we played uh, at Cameron one year. We we, uh, we came up a point short at Cameron uh, mm -hmm. back at the start of the 2012-13 season. Uh, it was it was a close game all the way. Uh, it was four points at the end, and Ian Clark, who of course ended up playing for for Golden State and, and winning a championship, mm -hmm. he had a three at the buzzer. But uh, yeah, we played we we played Duke twice and lost by one point each time. So uh, uh, two games total, and and two points is the margin total. Before we get a little bit more in depth into um, into Belmont and then obviously Tennessee and Vanderbilt, uh, I, I saw something come across my notifications today where coach K pretty much feels like, and I'm definitely not trying to turn this into a Duke podcast by any means, <laughs> but just kind of paying attention, you know, and, and, and him mentioning that maybe it's a good idea that we get through the pandemic first and then kind of the resumption of college basketball after that. But, you know, of course, that's one of those things that's a little bit more easier said after you take the loss to two big 10 teams in Michigan state and Illinois, because prior to that, there was like a, hey, we need to have college basketball this season, no matter what. Let's put all 350-something, 60-something <laughs> teams into the tournament at right. that point. What is your take on, 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 on all of that exactly? Like, where does Kevin Ingram stand in regards to where the college basketball season really needs to be this year? Do they kind of need to go on a hiatus for a little bit or shut the whole thing down? Or just what is your take overall in general? It's a hard one. It really is because you got so many programs that have been sh either have been shut down or are currently shut down. Um, I selfishly, I want to see the season continue. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I call games, do games for Belmont and for Vanderbilt, and uh, I want to see it continue from just from a work perspective. Uh, selfishly, mm -hmm. because that that's what I do and that's what I love to do. Um, I, I understand some of the safety concerns for the players. There's also the the train of thought that maybe being on campus is safer than anywhere else they might go. You know, maybe, you know, staying at school is safer than going back home and, you know, kind of no telling, you know, what, what's going on. Um, I, I, I don't know. I've tried to sort of come down in the middle on the, where, where I stand on a lot of things related to the pandemic. Um, I, I've sort of felt like for me and my family, we've tried to go ahead and, and live life while also being very cautious and sure. uh, wear a mask and, and be careful. We don't go very many places. We don't eat out very much or any of that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, selfishly, I like to see the basketball season continue. Um, I've seen several people suggest that yeah, maybe, you know, shut it down for a little bit. Or I think Rick Pitino had also said, hey, let's push it back, maybe play yeah. the tournament in May. Mm -hmm. uh, those probably aren't the worst ideas in the world, but um, I, I just don't know if, if you do that, will it be any better when you come back? Because are we going to be any farther along in the vaccine or where are we going to stand 
you know, when you come back from the hiatus. So it, there's a lot of moving parts and it. it's just a very complicated topic. Kevin Ingram joining us now in the locker room here on Tate's take uh, morning host play-by-play announcer uh, announcer rather uh, blue ribbon associate director. First of all, if you guys haven't went and picked up your blue ribbon, now I'll be honest, Kevin, this is the first year that I've actually been a subscriber of my own. I know some pre- previous people that I was mm-hmm. colleagues with that used to just be like, ah, there's not much need for me for, you know, for this. I'll pass it on to you because I know how much you enjoy it. But I tell you what, <laughs> that is like when people call this thing like the college basketball Bible. I mean, that is essentially what this thing is. And so I just want to definitely be able to say that, um, you know, I- I've enjoyed it. <laughs> Thank you so much for, you know, you and the team being able to deliver such good information to basketball hoop heads like myself. Uh, Make sure that you go and catch him on social media on uh, specifically on Twitter, as well as on IG. That is at K Ingram Sports at K Ingram Sports. Now, I want to jump over now into Vanderbilt. Can Um, I say one thing real quick about absolutely for sure? Yeah. You're talking about being the Bible of college basketball. My man, Chris Dortch, like brings it down from the mountain over in Chattanooga and distributes it to everybody. Uh, This is the first year I've really – I've worked with Chris for years on – we've done a radio show together for years, but this is the first year I've really done any sort of editing or writing or anything for Blue Ribbon. and It's really been special. It's it's fun to be a part of, and, uh, you know, I've – he – he does an amazing job. You know, he has a whole team of writers around the country that write those uh, preview pieces on every team. Now, if you if you announce basketball and you do some teams that are pretty obscure, man, you go to Blue Ribbon, it's got everything you need to know about every, that team. It, it's amazing. Oh it, it's To me, it's the greatest thing that, that's ever been put out there as far as a preview magazine. It's terrific. It is. It is, seriously. And I'm just like up all night, different times of the night, people are <laughs> sleeping. Yeah. I'm like up and I got my eyes on it, you know, and I can't sleep. Sometimes at nights I can't sleep and I I go in there and I pop it open and I just, you know, try and find a way to sleep, obviously. And that doesn't do me very much good because I'm just loaded up with all this great information. You can find that at Blue Ribbon. I was a little bit concerned because I'm like, hey, it's a little behind and this and that. And people are like, listen, don't worry about it. I get an email. Don't worry about it. It's coming. You will be happy that you got this once you finally got it. And of course, I'm really happy about it. Um, As we move on now to to Vanderbilt now, one and oh. Uh, on the season, 77 to 71 victory over Valparaiso, as you mentioned. Uh, you know, everybody talks about, you know, some of these programs and specifically a lot of them, uh, these coaches, they come from their alma maters. Obviously, Jerry Stackhouse being something a little bit different. You got your Penny Hardaway uh, from Memphis. You've got your Jawan Howard from, from Michigan. You've got your Patrick Ewing from Georgetown. Jerry Stackhouse and a little bit of a different uh, situation, mm-hmm. but definitely good situation there at Vanderbilt. Uh, you know, what has what is life like around that area, around that campus? And just some of the talks about him as a coach, because it seems like he, he's a little bit of underrated or maybe doesn't get the, the, the publicity that a lot of some of these other coaches do. What are some of the talks about him as a coach? We know what type of player he was in the NBA and at Carolina sure. and Chapel What type of coach is he uh, and, and, and some things that people need to kind of get behind why they still can? Uh, Jerry is a very, very intense guy. Um, I've enjoyed getting to know him just a little bit. Uh, I don't know him as well as, as some other coaches, but uh, yeah, I think he's last year was tough. 
they, they had a pretty good non-conference. And then Aaron Neesmith in the first conference game of the year against Auburn got hurt, and, and mm-hmm. that was the end of the season. He had a stress fracture. He was shooting 50% from three when that happened, and that's two years in a row that Vanderbilt's lost its best player. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. going back a couple of years when Darius Garland played, and uh, we we were actually doing that game. They were playing Kent State, and uh, he he uh, injured his knee and was gone for the year. But last year was Aaron Neesmith, and that just basically torpedoed his season. Uh, you know, they had a long SEC losing streak that they finally broke with an upset win over LSU. Uh, they they ended up winning, I think, three conference games last year. They won a couple at the end. Uh, one thing that really impressed me about him was the way they developed players. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they they had a you know mixture of some veterans but a lot of young guys last year and I, and I think you saw some of them really make some progress as the season went along you know the Neesmith injury was tough they also lost Cleavon Brown one of their really good forwards who's a you know a shot blocker rebounder and gets you a few points but uh, that was a big loss for him too but uh, I, I think you saw even though they didn't win a lot of games you know the results might not have shown it but they, they developed some pretty nice players and you know they did a good job in, in that department last year um, I, I think they don't really know what they have in this team they have Scotty Pippen Jr who mm-hmm. scored 25, he got to the free throw. He's always got to the free throw line a lot. Uh, it was 14 mm-hmm. out of 14 in, in that opener against Valparaiso. Dylan DeSue, who's a, a really nice long forward who can also shoot threes, gets, gets some rebounds. But, you know, a lot of it is pretty unproven. Max Evans is a veteran. He's been there a long time. He's a senior. But they have some transfers that they're, you know, I think probably just going to try to figure out you know, where they fit in and how much they can really help. Uh, so there, there are a lot of unknowns about this team. Like I said, we've only seen them play once. Uh, it was kind of an ugly game against Valparaiso. They ended up winning. Pippen had a really nice game, but I, I still just feel like I don't. I don't really have a great feel for this team, and just hoping they'll be back on the court again on Sunday. Yeah, I'm not sure anybody has a really good feel for any of the teams right yeah, now in college basketball. Just kind of the feel that it it has, and obviously a lot of the blue bloods between Duke and Kansas, Kentucky, North Carolina. Some of them taking losses, some of them just struggling and kind of barely able to squeak some of these games out. You mentioned some of the uh, one of some of the transfers from Vanderbilt. Obviously, one of them being DJ Harvey, who gave some solid contribution. Uh, to Notre Dame during his time there. And I'm not sure if you've been able to see the floor just yet uh, in that game against Valparaiso or if he kind of has to sit out on a transfer uh, waiver. Uh, he, he played. He scored eight points with five rebounds. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah, he's, he's good to go. He had a couple of threes in that one. Yeah, he's one of those guys that obviously is kind of uh, uh, kind of goes under the radar a little bit. Obviously, a really good jump shooter and experienced player as well from his time dating all the way back to Notre Dame. And so I can just imagine between he and Scottie Pippen Jr., who while he doesn't get a ton of his height from his dad, I do expect for him to yeah. definitely be able to uh, 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 not only contribute, but grow within his body, grow within himself, be able to gain some confidence in the process. Uh, yeah. and, and obviously 25 points for the first game out, it looks really good and something that I personally sure. didn't really expect from him coming out of from the last time that I saw him on the AU circuit level. Um, you mentioned Aaron Neesmith, obviously departing uh, last year, Darius Garland the year before. Uh, how does that speak volume about what Jerry Stackhouse is really trying to put in place with a lot of these players that are coming into his program because it's no secret Vanderbilt's not necessarily the, you know, high prestige type of team that's putting guys into the NBA. But as of the last two years, he's been able to do so. Why is that exactly? Would you say? It's funny. You've, you've seen pretty good individual talent out of this program. The Saban yes. Lee was a second round draft pick too. Correct. I mean, you know, he had a great year last year, he, even after Neesmith was gone, he kind of carried the load. 
But it, but you look back, back over the last few years, they've had several draft picks. Uh, you know that that have they've had several first rounders that have gone on to be some some pretty good NBA players. It's funny I saw a video the other day of John Jenkins. Uh, he, he's from around the Nashville area. That that guy has been one of the best shooters I've seen anywhere. And uh, I'd be interested to see if he gets back into the NBA at some point. But yeah, you, you've had even though maybe the the team hasn't uh, been as been as good as uh, might have hoped. Uh, you know, with Kevin Stallings and Bryce Drew and now Jerry Stackhouse, you have mm-hmm. seen several uh, NBA draft picks that have gone on to have you know nice careers so far in the league. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned some of those guys because it almost kind of went over my head a little bit as I was thinking about some of the names that have come up. There was a seven-footer, and I can't remember his name. He was very close to seven feet within the last few years uh, for Vanderbilt, and I just can't think of his name, but definitely was highly touted that was going to be coming out. But nonetheless, um, um, geez, what is this guy's name? There, there's a whole nother guy that uh, played with Golden State. You mentioned Golden State, who was in the front court as well when Golden State was really starting to get things going. Um, geez, I'm trying to think of his name and I just can't think of it. But nonetheless, um, moving forward, uh, we kind of transitioning now into Tennessee. Um, a team that started out preseason ring, there's a lot of high expectations for this team. Uh, it started out in the AP poll, ranked number 12, moved to number 13. I think a large part of that, obviously, is because they didn't play any games. Uh, now moving back over to number 12, they're 1-0, and uh, 56-47 win against, against Colorado just last night. Uh, this is a team that's got those high expectations. When I look at those expectations, two names come up in a major way for me. That's obviously Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer. Didn't necessarily see a lot of time on the floor yesterday against Colorado. What do you make of exactly their roles uh, under Rick Barnes during their time there, at least just starting out, if not anything else? Real quick, can I go back to the, the Vandy guys you're trying to think of? Festus Azili and Festus Azili. There we go. There we go. Thank you so much. They both won rings with the Warriors. Uh, I I know Fest did. I'm pretty sure Damian Jones did too. Uh, You know, Fest was there and he left. I don't think they were ever on the team at the same time. But but both of them play for the Warriors, and I think both of them have a ring. So uh, that that was your answer. Thank you. Sure. Um, As far as Tennessee, you know, I I think they're really excited about those freshmen, man. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Those those guys you mentioned are very highly touted players, and uh, I think they're expecting to make a big contribution. Good news for Tennessee is. You know, they, they have enough experience that they don't have to carry the load. Uh, you know, they can they can kind of find their way a little bit and, you know, in, in the craziest season that, that you'll have, too. So, I mean, who knows what exactly, you know, how their roles will develop. But, you know, the good part is they, you know, they, they've got Santiago Vescovi. They got Josiah Jordan-James. You know, both those guys have been starters for them. You know, Vescovi kind of showed up in the middle of last year and, and ended up uh, you know, having a pretty nice uh, first season. But, uh, you know, they, they've got enough experience that they can bring those guys along a little bit. But guard play, too, over the last couple of years has been a problem for, for Rick Barnes' team. Uh, it's been kind of one thing that sort of held them back. It's like I always have good front court players, but at times, you know, the shooting or the point guard role uh, has been something they struggle with a little bit. But, man, I, I really think both those players are going to be uh, terrific. And, and I, I, it's, again, it's kind of like we talked about earlier. You just don't really know – don't really know what they are because you haven't seen him play any. You talk about Springer and Keon Johnson. Um, I, I know they're great high school players. And I know, you know, heard little reports out of practice here or there, but not much. But um, seeing them on the court there last night for the first time, it's the first time I've seen either one of them play in college. So it's, it's kind of hard to say. 
Yeah, I know. And not only that, but so many other freshmen around the country have had, I'm not going to say a ton more opportunities, but about three to five opportunities yeah. more than those guys have. This was just their first game on the collegiate level. And while you're mentioning John Jenkins and Damian Jones, if I want to say, I think both of those guys recently, as I'm here in the Atlanta area, Metro uh-huh. Atlanta, I think both of those guys were Atlanta Hawks at one point, yep. if I'm not mistaken. Well, I, yeah, so. I know John Jenkins was. Yeah, that's for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, with that being said, um, you know, Jos- Josiah Jordan James is one of those guys that came along really late in his high school career and uh, a lot of different high prestige programs wanted to get him and obviously chose Tennessee. Uh, maybe a little bit of a slight disappointment for some last year, uh, in which I believe was his first year on campus. Um, what exactly are you hearing about him and his game for why, you know, not only that he can be expected to take a huge sophomore leap, if you will, uh, but even more so his role in what uh, Rick Barnes really needs for him to contribute to this team in order for it to be successful ever since, you know, guys like Admiral Schofield and Grant Williams and those guys left. Where, where, where does he stand with, with, with that you can imagine with his role or what you're hearing? I mean, I, I got to think there, they're going to expect a lot out of him, you know, scoring, rebounding, all, all those things, you know, just kind of a versatile guard. Um, didn't hit a three last night, but was in, out there for 30 minutes. Um, yeah, and then, then they also have Victor Bailey, the uh, the transfer from, from uh, what, Oregon, uh, that, that came in, um, had eight points in, in his debut for Tennessee and hit, hit a couple of threes. Um, but, you know, it kind of looks to me like, you know, Vescovia, I'm sure they expect to be the point guard and then, uh, you know, those three, those three were the starting guards last night. Uh, but you know, Fulkerson and Pons are, are such good players. John mm-hmm. John Fulkerson is really a versatile guy, a big dude who can do a lot of stuff. And Eve Pons has got to be one of the best athletes in, in the SEC or any conference for that matter. It's it's been pretty remarkable to watch uh, his development just over a, a couple seasons here. Yeah, Fulkerson for me is one of those guys where it's like he's got that sneaky athleticism. He's got that little bit of bite to him a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, where if, if you kind of underestimate it a little bit, not only will he dunk on you, but he can you can look up at the scoreboard and he'll have 20 plus on you sure. with no problem relatively easily. Plays the game the right way, very clean about the way that uh that that he plays the game, obviously. And and so just watching him, he's a guy that I've really grown to like because I don't always like guys with his style, but I tend to always (laughs) first of all respect guys that can. And you know what? This is a very tough and hard, not only league in the SEC, but just game to play in general when you're not the most athletic guy out there, you know, but he has a very high IQ and he's a workhorse, that's for sure. So, and he's physical. You better bring your hard hat and your lunch pail with you when you're coming to play Tennessee because he's going to be one that can give you all that you can handle. Um, These next few games that are up, and obviously I don't want to take up too much of your time. Cincinnati's coming up really soon. Uh, they start out SEC play at Missouri, which is kind of surging uh, sure. kind of under the radar a little bit in their own way. Further on down the line is when you'll kind of get that rematch game in a way against Kansas, and that'll be a home game as well. Uh, what do you see between those three games, Cincy, uh, Missouri, and Kansas, in, in terms of what the team needs to do if they want to add a number to the left side of the result column? Uh, I mean, I think they just got to just got to get out there and play some games as much as anything. I mean, uh, you know, Cincinnati, I mean, they're always kind of a hard nosed team. You kind of know what you're going to get out of them. I saw Kansas play a little bit against Kentucky last week and 
they had a bad first half, but a really good second half. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the other game you mentioned was against Missouri. They've been the surprise of the SEC so far, what, yeah. 3-0 or 4-0, and they've uh, uh, scored a couple really nice wins. So uh, I think Conzo Martin is doing a really good job with that program. And, you know, they're reflecting, you know, a reflection of their coach. I mean, he's, he's a, when he played, man, he was a tough dude. And, you know, of course, there's that Conzo connection. He coached in Tennessee. And, and you know, he's been yep. pretty successful at, at a lot of different stops. So uh, happy for him having that success. I, he's just any dealing I had, he just seemed like a great guy, but, um, you know, back at his alma mater and, or back at, at Missouri, I should say, and, uh, and, uh, doing a good job there. So, um, I, I think, uh, I think, I think that, comp- that, that, that it's going to be an interesting conference for sure, because you got some teams that are off to a good start. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you got, you got Missouri, you got Arkansas and Florida and, uh, you know, there's a couple others that are either unbeaten or only one loss, you know, through a limited number of games. But I think Missouri without question has really been the, the surprise team, in a good way in the sec. I want to say this before I give you my last question, which will ultimately be about Vanderbilt. One of our uh, favorite and long time, obviously very consistent uh, con- uh, um, subscribers, obviously, and, and, and watchers and listeners, Matthew Maurer, who's following along on Facebook. So he's got every blue ribbon from 84 all the way to 2009. <laughs> always great stuff. And I always got to show him some love when he comes onto the podcast and, uh, and not only do I appreciate him, but if it's okay that I speak for you, Kevin, I'm sure you appreciate him oh. and his subscriptions as well. Oh, no doubt about it. You know, this is the 40th edition of the of the Blue Ribbon Yearbook. It is. And, uh, man, if he has that many of them going back, you say 84, 84 to 2019, I see it right there. Man, that, that's a loyal subscriber right there. Yes, so, Matthew, is. man, we really appreciate that. I, and I know Chris does. I can speak for Mr. Dorch. I'm, I'm sure uh, he, he's really happy to, to have you on board for all that many years. Yeah, that's thirty. That's at least somewhere close to right around thirty-five strong years, and I only Ooh. know that because I was born in eighty-four, uh, and I'm thirty-six <laughs> now. But wow, man. Uh, definitely credit to him because listen, I've got magazines, and unfortunately, it's not the uh, it's not blue ribbon. I've got some blue ribbons, but not consistently yeah. from the age of ten, from ninety-four. But uh, I, you better believe. Uh, that, you know, I'm going to be a consistent subscriber all the way between now and then. And my last questions to you, uh, was, which was about Vanderbilt. We talked a little bit about Tennessee and their upcoming games. I think a very good Richmond team. I want to say a week from Uh, today, a week from today, Richmond, obviously an undefeated team as well. I don't think they've lost any games just yet. Uh, Florida is ahead, obviously in the sec. Yeah. That'll Uh, be the opener. That's the opener. Correct. Mm -hmm. And I, think that finishes the year of 2020 but then you right. open up 2021 with Kentucky uh in terms of those three games same question much like Tennessee what does a Vanderbilt team like that really need to kind of lock in laser focus in on if they want to uh be successful in those three games well those are going to be some tough ones to start off I mean Florida's at home I know uh you know but you kind of look ahead and, and look down the road and you know, Kentucky has really struggled in their first handful of games. They came out and beat Morehead State to start. But since then, I mean, Richmond Richmond spanked them at home. They played a really good first half against Kansas and, and not so much in the second half. And then they got hammered at Georgia Tech. They, they did not play well in that game. Calipari's team, they don't shoot it very well. They turn it over a ton. You know, they, got, they don't have anybody who's playing a game. Uh, and uh, they, they've really struggled to shoot threes the uh, last, you know, more, a couple seasons here. It's been interesting. 
so I, you know, that it might be one of those things where Kentucky, if you get them, you play them early, maybe you get them early, and, and you know, later on down the road, they're going to be a better team when you start, you know, say the season continues uh, as we hope. Uh, maybe get them on down the road, and they've got a little experience and some confidence, and they play a little better. But they look pretty gettable right now. They they uh, not played very well. Florida's off to a good start, but you know, the thing about them, they really haven't played the, the much the same level of competition that, that maybe some other teams have. Um, I, I think it's kind of a big year for Michael White. I know they have an all-conference player or two, but um, yeah, that's going to be it'll be an interesting opener at Memorial Gym. The thing is that uh, you know home versus road just doesn't seem like it matters as much this year because you know fans, you know, not not the same atmosphere and fans in the stands as you normally see, and uh, you know that that just uh, I, I'll be interested to see kind of the, the home and road splits for a lot of these teams. You know, where you know in a normal year Vanderbilt might have a good advantage at home. Playing at Memorial Gym is an interesting experience, and and you could say that for for a lot of these teams. And you know, college basketball, you probably have a better home court advantage than you do in maybe other sports. Whereas you know, the better team might win regardless of where the game is played. But you know, I, I think especially early on in conference play, it's going to be really interesting, especially if some teams play a whole bunch of non-conference games and some teams don't play very many at all. Um, so I think that that part of it might be an issue too. Yeah, Memorial is one of those places where if you think you're about to just go up in there and sneak away with a win, it's not going to be nearly as easy. I'll tell you <laughs> that. They've got one of those places that, you know, when I'm not saying it's Cameron Indoor Stadium necessarily or anything like that. Mm-hmm. However, it's one of those places you're not just about to go in there and check this one off on, 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 your, on your list. Yeah. You just want to automatically assume you're going to get a win. The gym is kind of put together in a weird way. I've always wondered how that works because, you know, it almost kind of looks like a volleyball setup to an extent. (laughs) And And then now you're seeing with the pandemic and all of the spacing that the teams have to have, and players between each other yep. and so forth. Now they're actually starting to put some of those players behind the the, the backboard and so forth, uh-huh. you know. And, and so I'm just kind of watching the way that yep. goes. It's like hmm, Vanderbilt appears to have been uh, a little ahead of the curve. <laughs> yeah, there's there's always been a ton of room on the sidelines there. I mean, yes. it's, gosh, it's probably 15, 20 feet from the you know from the sideline to where the stands start. Mm-hmm. Now, in the way it's configured now, you know, they've just pushed all the the, all the seats back to to fold it up on, in the end zones, you know, and the, to give the benches a little bit more room. So it looks even more spread out now than it did in, in years past. And it always looks like the goal is out in the middle of nowhere. You, you know, you mm-hmm. think about like think about when they play in a dome for a Final Four, something like that, and, and the court's just like raised, and the and the goals are just seem like they're out mm-hmm. in the middle of a big field. Vanderbilt sort of always looks that way, um, but it's it's a unique and very quirky gym. There, there's no question about it. It's it's one of the hardest places to announce a game you'll ever go just because you're sort of you're looking at the court sort of like this and uh, you're looking at all everybody's sneakers and it's hard to see the yeah. lines and those things. It's just a, a different perspective. But, you know, over the years, the last couple of years have been a struggle, but over the years, Vanderbilt's had a great home court advantage playing in that building. Kevin, I told you, I promised you we're going to get you out of here and that that was going to be my last question. But if it's okay <laughs> with you, I do have just one more. All right, let's do it. Uh, there, there's... There's been some conversations that have been circulating around the course of the last 24 to 48 hours about blue bloods. Okay. And so um, obviously not that this has a ton to do with it, but obviously this year between your Dukes, Kansas, Carolina, Kentucky, UCLA, whatever, what have you, this hasn't been necessarily their year, the way that they would like to have expected it to be so far. But when I talk about blue bloods, I've been asking people this question. Okay. 
who are the blue bloods exactly of this sport and what is the makeup of a blue blood who are those blue blood programs and what does what is it based on i guess um so that would be kind of my questions to you when i mention blue blood programs not necessarily in the increment of how many or so on and so forth who does when i mention blue blood programs to kevin ingram who automatically comes to mind and why, like, what is the difference when, in, in terms of that definition, Kevin Ingram's definition of a blue blood program? I think that's a really interesting question, Deshaun. I, you, you look at traditionally Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, you can throw in a few others who've, who've been over the long haul. They've been great programs. But it's funny, over the last few years, say a program like Gonzaga, they they don't play in a power conference, but they're a brand name. It's always makes me laugh to see a Gonzaga number one in, in a mid major polls. Like they're number one in every poll. No. Um, but you know, you've seen a little bit of a changing of the guard and some some new new teams in there, some new power teams. Like right now, you look oh, look at the AP top twenty five: Gonzaga, Baylor, Iowa, Michigan State, Kansas. Uh, you know, Baylor has been a program. They they made some good runs in the tournament. Uh, Coach Drew's done a good job down there. Michigan State is – they're a traditional power. They're, they're legit. They've been to a million Final Fours. Um, but Iowa on the scene, Iowa over the years, they've had their moments. They've had – in general, they've been a good program, but uh, not necessarily a top-five program year after year. But, you know, Luca Garza certainly uh, makes them a, you know, a contender to have a fantastic season. It's interesting mm-hmm. to see Illinois there too, and they scored some really nice wins so far. Um but you know that that's a pretty proud program. They've been to a Final Four or two and a championship game or two. So um, I, I just think it's interesting to look at college basketball. And I think you know sort of this one and done era of basketball where the rosters turn over so much, it gives an opportunity for for programs that are a little bit older, that, that have older players, more experienced players. It might not necessarily you know be gone in a year or two to really make some inroads and be powerful programs. And I think you know a, a school like Gonzaga. You know, maybe some others you, you you check out have sort of taken advantage of that over the last few years, and have you know it's give, given teams that uh, might not have ever sniffed the Final Four a chance to get there. I mean, think about Butler going to the championship game two years in a row. To me, that that's remarkable. Not just that they got there once, but that they went back the following year. Right. Uh, I, th- I think the traditional powers are always going to be the traditional powers, but I, it seems like you know the definition of blue bloods. Kind of go back to your original question. I think that's expanded, uh, you know, to include more more teams as far as maybe not traditionally, but but elite programs in 2020. I appreciate it. And obviously that when you're talking about that Butler team that did it back to back years, that second year was without Gordon and Hayward. Uh-huh, ironic. Sure. So that was pretty impressive. Uh, Kevin Ingram. Appreciate you so much, so, so much for joining us. And obviously to my good buddy and Paul Bible for putting us together. Morning show host, uh, play-by-play announcer, Blue Ribbon. Make sure you guys go and pick that up. This dude does fantastic, phenomenal work. Associate uh, editor of that. Catch him on Twitter and on Instagram at K Ingram Sports, at K Ingram Sports. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me today. Anytime, Deshaun, man. I, I'm glad to do it. Uh, I'm glad Paul uh, put us together. He's a great guy. And he's, he's been a great friend for a long time. So, uh, man, any anytime, just let me know. Looking forward to the next time. Thanks so much, Kevin. All right. Have a good day. All right. You as well. Thank you. And that-
Okay. <laughs> Had a, a little bit of a technical difficulty there, but that was Kevin Ingram uh, from Blue Ribbon Sports, obviously, that covers uh, Belmont bas men's basketball team as well as Vanderbilt in addition to Tennessee. Uh, gracing us with his presence, if you will, uh, and thank him for joining. And, and you know what? I, I tell people all the time, you never know exactly who you're going to get here on this program. So if you got one of those power, you know, six conference teams that you're a fan of or uh, maybe even some high majors, some mid majors, some low majors, even bringing some different people on so we can kind of break down uh, some of those programs and dive inside the minds of some of the people that cover those teams. Uh, if you enjoyed it, I hope you certainly did pass along the information to a friend. Of course, we appreciate Matthew Maurer for coming on and uh, blessing us with some of his comments, talking about being a subscriber of Blue Ribbon for over 35 years now. So appreciate him for checking in and obviously for Kevin Ingram to check in with us as well. Make sure that you go and tell a friend, tell a family member, tell a stranger, tell the enemy, your mom, your grandma, whoever it may be, to make sure you go and subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Thank you so much to those of you who have already done it. And for those of you who will do so in the future and just passing along the word of the best, the most entertaining, the most educational and the most informational basketball content on the planet in the form of a podcast. That's none other than what you're listening to and just listen to right now. Tate's Take. Remember to follow along on social media, all social media platforms at Tate's Take Hoops. T-A-T-E-S-T-A-K-E-H-O-O-P-S Hashtag, of course, per usual, where basketball lives And remember to give a follow along um, And subscribe uh, anywhere that you find your favorite podcast Again, I'm going to go through this again, of course Because I need you to know where you can find it iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Red Circle, Stitcher, streaming live on Facebook. I see you out there streaming live on YouTube. I also see you as well. Feel free to leave a comment on how much you've been enjoying uh, the podcast. Feel free to uh, leave a rating up to a five-star rating. Fingers crossed, toes crossed, eyes crossed, everything crossed uh, that I get that five-star rating, but only if it's deserving. And I appreciate everybody for checking in. We've got some really, really interesting people. Hey, my dude, Brent Benson. Brent Benson from B3 Academy, who has been working out and training. Some of the guys are going to be upcoming rookies in the NBA for next year or, or the upcoming year, rather, coming up with tipping off in about two weeks or something like that. Uh, he's going to come on talking about some of the guys that he's had the opportunity to train, talk about his pro-am and B3 Academy, among so many other things. Me and this dude goes so far way back, man, it is absolutely ridiculous. So I'm going to be bringing him on tomorrow. We'll get all those times confirmed to make sure that you follow along for what time that will be for our 47th episode of Tate's Take. Uh, follow along um, on social media so you can see actually what time that that will air. Uh, it's guaranteed to pretty much be sometime after 4.30. So appreciate everybody for checking in. We'll see you guys somewhere in a roundabout way around 24 hours or so. Looking forward to it. And thanks for checking in. Remember to subscribe. Tate's Take the Podcast.